0: Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening guys? Happy Friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome coming up on today's show. I'll get into the biggest stories surrounding some of the UFC's top divisions, including some strong words about Sugar Sean, George Masvidal's thoughts on Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley and more. That's later in the show. But let's begin here. Remember on Wednesday how I told you about a fight that we all wanted to see? Well it's here. Told you. I mean, who called this, right? Who told you? that Conor Bisping were going to get in a fight publicly. I did. Now, you don't have to put on your Columbo rain jacket. I don't necessarily get any credit for doing that, but I did call it ahead of time and it has happened. So let's start at the top. Now, where do these guys get in a back and forth to begin with? I believe it all had to do with the way that Bisping was talking about Conor being finished. But I get confused because Connor's mad at Bisping, but he's also been mad at Daniel, and I could be confused on what the genesis of that is. Either way, just so you have the backstory, okay? Connor and Bisping used to be cronies of some level. I mean, Bisping was, was singing Connor's praises, and I believe had met him and got him in with the management company that Connor's still with, Auditar and Company. Are they, what are they called? Dominance? Whatever they're called. I believe that Bisping set that up. So somewhere over time, Connor started to get more shine than some of the other clients, including Bisping who was a champion of the World Future Hall of Famer and brought him in in the first place and things just got a little bit weird. And I can only remember one back and forth going on between these two, but Bisping had done a, a movie part in Triple X and somewhere Connor had said that part was for me and I was too busy so I passed it to you like it was like it was an insult. And Bisping was never really denying that. He's just going, Yeah, but if we're buddies and we're not the same manager, isn't that how it works? It comes to one guy, hey, he can't do it, hand it to another. It was just one of these things. And I just barely remember that. How accurate anything that I just told you was? I'm about, I'm at least 80% there. But I'll admit that I've forgotten something because there was never a back and forth. And Bisping's always been extremely respectful of Connor. Now, Connor hasn't been anything towards Bisping, but Connor isn't working the stick. He's not up on the desk at ESPN or something along these lines where he would have anything to say. Bisping's covered Connor's fights, and Bisping's just been re- very respectful, and I've noticed it. So somewhere, they get off course, and the tweets go along these lines. Conor McGregor. Oh, no, no, we got to back up here. We got to back up here. Connor said that he was getting a piece of Michael Bisping's purses that Connor himself... Now owns a piece of the management company that Michael introduced him to, and therefore got a piece of Bisping's fight. Connor tweets out, but hey, 100K, 50K, right off the top of every time you fight. I used to yell "Oink" when it hit the "Yoink" when it hit the account. Now "Yoink" is a term from a cartoon called The Simpsons. The writer of The Simpsons made "Yoink" an acceptable colloquialism which is what the characters in The Simpsons, and it could be any of them, it could be Bart, it could be Homer, it could be Lisa, if they take something, if they take something of somebody else's, they yell out, yoink, that's the reference there. Bisping says, okay, mate, it seems to be the general consensus these days. Don't know if you're deleting tweets quicker or if your legacy is getting deleted quicker. I paraphrase that one slightly. To which Connor responds, the only legacy I give a F about is the legacy 5,000 my mother flies around on. Bisping responds, money doesn't make you, little man. Besides, even if you stood on your wallet, I'd still be bigger than you. Connor responds, oh, you a big man, are you, bro? A real man wouldn't sprint from his hometown after they come knocking on his mother's door, bro. Don't forget that one, big man. The US crunch time and you dipped. All right, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop, it keeps going. I'm wearing my glasses. I don't like wearing my glasses in front of people. So you know what he's talking about. Way back in the day, Bisping lived in England and there was some kind of shady, gangster-like characters that somehow had a piece of Bisping's career. I, I, normally, I would call them managers. I believe Bisping thought he was signing a management contract. He wasn't. They were, like, straight shaking him down. It went all the way through the court system. But they came and, like, burned a house down. Bisping had a couple of homes, and they burned one down, or they threatened to burn it down, and one of them his mom was living in. I, I'm close. Bisping told me this story. He's like... 2013 though I can't fully remember 2011, so he had to leave basically in the middle of the night and get the hell out of the area, which is what brought him to the states, which is what Connor's referring to. Now had Connor given more detail, had Connor known to give detail, it would have been a little bit juicier of a story. And in all fairness, when guys start looking for those digs, right? Because what hurts? It's the truth that hurts. So when Connor's armed with a piece of information that obviously Bisping shared with him. Not thinking that Connor would bring out, right? I mean, there's a piece of this. Hey, just how much are, the, are we taking these gloves off? Now, Bisping did not respond, but in all fairness, Connor was in some trouble with some mobsters himself. He stayed in Ireland, he somehow worked it out, but he's also got an eight man security team armed with him at all times. I mean, it's, it's one of these things. I don't know. Guy comes to burn down a house and your mother happens to be living with it. It seems to me you don't need to meet that guy. With a five finger reminder, you need to get your mom and get the hell out of there. That really is neither here nor there, these guys are just having their fun back and forth. But I don't know who's going to get the last word. And it's hard for me to imagine that either one of them is going to back down. The problem that Bisping has is Connor's got nothing else to do. Connor likes to be heard, he likes to talk. He's got no one to go after, he doesn't have an opponent. So Connor's slate's going to be wide open, right? So if you're Bisping and you, <laughs> how, how far do I want to go with this? Connor's likely to go, go pretty damn far. The other side of it is Bisping has a platform. Bis- Bisping doesn't just have to go to social media. He has his own show, which, by the way, he does a damn good job. He's got quite a few listeners. So who's going to decide to have the final word? And how are you going to have the final word to close this chapter and move on without looking as though you're avoiding the fight? And moreover, at what point do you want it to end? Even if it's a fight you don't want to have, if it's getting headlines, I'm sitting over here talking about it. Guys ever seen my numbers? They're right to the left of the screen here. They're huge, and I'm covering it. Do you want that to go away? is that something that you would want to go away? What would be the advantage of that? Let's see how far this goes. Let's see what the back and forth is. I'm not sure that they got a whole lot more to throw at each other, right? If they just start trying to perform, they just start putting out bits and material. It's a little bit different. Conor's bringing up real stuff. So is Bisping. It's as juicy as it gets. I've been waiting for this fight. I have been waiting for because I've known. I've known this is brewing. About five years. About five years I've been waiting for this fight. Oh, I hope it goes to championship rounds. I really do. Well, speaking of Conor McGregor and his enemies, Dustin Poirier certainly is one of them. He's going after the lightweight champion Charles Oliveira, who himself just weighed in on Poirier versus McGregor 3. Charles Oliveira. Charlie Olives, who I must tell you is rapidly growing on me. I mean, I'm starting to like Oliveira more and more. I don't agree with his marketing. I don't agree with a lot of his approach. Now, he can get to where he needs to get, not listening to Chael, but it's going to be the slow path, right? It's going to be the Chuck Liddell road. You're doing everything right. You're kicking everybody's ass, but it's going to be a really long time before we think that mohawk is cool because you're a grown man and it looks a little bit weird, right? In all fairness, though, people thought that was weird on Chuck Liddell. He, Chuck never changed over a period of time. He became the biggest star in the sport. I mean, that is a compliment to him. But that's also one path. Chuck looked the lo- took the long road. And if you're confident in your skills and you plan to monetize the punches and the kicks and nothing else, go ahead and take the long road. It could be a very honorable one to take. I'm giving you answers to how to get there a little bit quicker. Oliveira, though, hold this thought. Oliveira was just weighing in on fights on Poirier specifically. If Poirier is going to come and fight with him, or if Poirier is going to wait and go do the Conor fight, and Oliveira was extremely candid to say, "I get it. We're human beings. Everybody wants to make as much money as they can. In this sport, you can choose sometimes between the belt or the money. I will choose the belt." The belt still means something to me, but if somebody else wants to choose money, go ahead. Now, I love it for a few reasons, and I realize the brilliance is in the simplicity. He said nothing remarkable there. There was nothing sophisticated about it. But the truth will set you free, and if you're stuck in a hard place, which is the number one contender doesn't want to fight you, it has never happened in the history of the sport. We have never seen ever the number one contender... Wanting to fight somebody other than the champion. Poirier is the first. What do you do if you're that champion? Right? What what do you do? That's where you gotta just tell the truth, which is exactly what Charles did. You're gonna get a bigger paycheck for fighting Connor. I don't I don't bring a whole bunch of zeros. I bring the only thing in this sport that any of you ever set out for which is 12 pounds a goal and a recognition by my peers that I'm the best. If that's not good enough for you, go somewhere else. I mean, what do you do? I think Oliver handled it perfectly. I think there was something special about Poirier even talking about going in a direction as the number one contender other than the title. We've never been in this spot. I haven't armed myself for this to bring to you guys. This is how you counter and this is how you go back and forth. I've never seen this attack before. It was a very clever move by Dustin. It was a very clever move because there's nothing to talk about. When you're the number one contender and you're drawing right into the champ, there's nothing to discuss unless you're Poirier who just started a conversation, right? It's very interesting, but where is this going to end? This is not a precedence that we want to deal with. What if Surreal started to do this with Francis or Francis back to Surreal? The interim champs got to fight the undisputed champ and vice versa. Do we all agree? Well, I thought, I mean, in all fairness, I've been at this a long time. I thought that's how it worked. I thought this all came from a competitive architecture. It's the only part of sport I care about. I'm out. If this is about the money, give me some attention. I'm out. Cause I'm kicking in no matter how small old Chael's push of that buy button is, I'm still kicking in and I'm not kicking into somebody who doesn't want to be in the cage. Your parents, I'm, I'm still in the schools. I still coach. So I see parents and I see all ages all the time. I know parents that make their kids play basketball. They make them play soccer. They make them give baseball a try. I've never in my life heard of a parent who makes a kid go into combat. If he does, I'd probably call and report that guy. That doesn't sound right to me. This has to be a choice. This has to be a volunteer army. Where the championship and the recognition means everything to you. And you're sacrificing and you're hungry and you're starving. You'll do whatever it takes to get there. And I think when you're in Dustin's spot and all fairness, he's already wore the belt. I only dreamed of it. I don't know. What's that like if you were the champion? What's that like if you already climbed that hill? Do you want to climb it again or do you want to go in a different direction? Which may take you to the top, but it might take you somewhere else pretty cool too, right? Dustin's got options. Options I didn't know about. Seeing the same thing with John Jones. John Jones walked away. He was so successful, he gave a world title back. I can't imagine. Can you guys, could you even imagine whatever your chosen craft or whatever your chosen field was, you make it to the absolute top, the champion of the world, and you give it back? I couldn't imagine. So I'm not sitting over here passing judgment. I'm attempting to get into the mindset it's got some brilliance to it, but I'm also looking at the byproduct, which is Charles Oliveira. What do we do? Is it going to be good enough to offer the right guy the match, and if the right guy says no, to go to the next best thing, is that going to be acceptable? And I'm asking you guys, because you're the ones that are going to decide, is that acceptable? For me, it is, of course. Of course, we don't make anybody do this. We don't bribe anybody. There's no fancy trinkets. You're here because you want to be here. You're going to be the recognition of your peers with the belt and everything that comes along with that, but that is what it is. If that's not enough, it's going to be very interesting where we go. I mean, again, let me bring in Surreal and Francis. What do you do? What would you do if one of those guys was to say no? And what if that guy is Francis? Does Surreal become the undisputed champion, or does Surreal go out and defend the interim championship? I thought he would become undisputed champion, but there's nothing that says that he has to, and we're getting into a very strange uh, part of the sport. From a marketing standpoint, pay me money doesn't work. It's a a huge turnoff. If it's done correctly, you can get over. I would put one of the great heels in entertainment history as Ted DiBiase, who played the Million Dollar Man. I will acknowledge that Floyd Mayweather stole the money gimmick, ...from rappers and did it even better than they did. I can then tell you a whole bunch of guys that tried to do it... ...and it was off-putting. Colby Bryant, rest his soul... ...when he became the highest paid player in the league... ...and came out and made sure in interviews... ...to continue to tell people that... ...he continued to get booed. I don't know if for anybody this money gimmick has worked. Meanwhile, on the other side of the tracks... ...you have Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo is fighting better right now than I've ever seen him fight. I've seen him be world champion. I have not seen Jose Aldo put five minutes of fighting together better than round three against Pedro Munoz. The single best Jose Aldo I've ever seen. He was up by two on the scorecards. Nobody would have disagreed with that. He certainly knew it as one of the more educated, intelligent fighters ever, and he put his foot down on the gas trying to get Pedro the hell out of there in the third round. I have never seen a performance like that by Jose Aldo. He then goes and does an interview. He says, I'm not here to fight YouTube stars, and you go right ahead. You go make as much money as you want. I am here purely for the belt. And you know what? I believe him. Words are one thing. Actions are a whole nother. Jose showed us the action first, before he ever put the words. I don't know that I've been as inspired, at least not in a period of time, by a fighter as I am right now by Jose Aldo. I cannot think of anybody within the sport who I want something good to happen to more than I want it for Jose. And if you would have come to me a month ago and said, "Chill, what is the trajectory for Jose? I would tell you that he is living the dream like all fighters. His expiration date is behind us like all fighters. And he will be the last to find out. And he'll know that when Bruce Buffer is reading his opponent's name and he's flat on his back being carried from the octagon like all fighters. That's what I would have predicted for you. And you would have told me, "Chill, you're right. And Jose's on this mission to go out there and be the champion. He had a great performance against Pedro. It's not enough. I get that it's not enough. He's had too many opportunities at the top, right? Unless your name's Chael Sonnen or Uriah Faber, you're not going to just keep walking into world title fights. In all fairness, well, when you call out TJ Dillashaw after the fight, which is a match everybody would like to see, champion versus champion, contender versus contender, all of a sudden you start to see a very clear path of how Jose Aldo is in the ring fighting for the belt again. Not to mention, Jose and Sterling is a very compelling match. Very, very interesting match. Unlike Jan versus Aldo, who is essentially the same guy, but one guy was nine years younger. Right now, it's a battle of speed, and we saw what happened. Jan was able to get to the target first. I get it. I'm just laying out for you. Jose Aldo, without question, has the resume. Without question, has the skills, but he doesn't have the mandate of the masses. We've already given that to him. We gave it to him, what happened, happened, and now we're giving it to somebody else. But he somehow managed us to take that car and hit a U-turn. By minutes 10 through 15 against Munoz and the call out of Dillashaw. And this is so refreshing if you juxtapose that against these other guys that want to talk about I want money. Because who are you blaming if you talk about I'm not making enough money? Who are you blaming? Because I feel like... And when I hear you say it, and I'm a fan, I'm a paying member of this community, feel like you're talking to me. You think I should give you more money? What do you want me to do, push the button twice? How do I give you more money? And you're going to withhold a commodity from me unless I do it? That doesn't sound right. You want to hold your career ransom? Shove your career up your ass. That's what I would say. Maybe you're not talking to me. Are you talking to the promotion? The ones who gave you a deal, you held it up to screenshot it and sent it out to social media five, six, eight months earlier, now you think you signed a bad deal? You were awfully excited then according to your social media, so what's different now? If you are ever in the spot as an athlete where you have outgrown your contract, and it's a very real thing, for the guys that have had success, great job. But if you are ever at the spot in your career where you have outgrown the contract, that's not where you go to the media and say, give me more money. That's where you shake your promoter's hand in the back and you say, great job. Great job. Thank you. And I'll share that with you. If you're a whore, of which most fighters are, and you're just going to go to the highest bidder, then keep your mouth shut. That's all you were looking for. When you sit down to sign with a promoter, you should know or believe that that promoter has a plan and can give you exposure that the other promoters can't. That he can elevate you and promote you. Do you know what that word means? So if you were ever to outgrow your contract, that means that he did his side of things. And he's made you a much bigger deal. Which is why you went with him in the first place. Nobody's wrong to try to steer their career. Nobody. But we've also never seen a number one contender pushing back on taking on a champion to the point where the champion now has to speak up and tell the truth, which is I'm not the big money fighter. Well, what do you do in that spot? It's interesting. And this sport continues to get plagued, right? This sport, like, you know, we, we injuries are plaguing the sport. Bullcrap. A bunch of wimps pretended they were fighters. That's what happened there. Weight cutting is plaguing the sport. No, wrong. Undisciplined athletes is what happened there. And now we got to hear about these money fights. Who the hell are you talking to? Which one of you crowned up pricks says that us, the fans, should have to pay more money to make you walk out there with your t-shirt off? Because you're talking to us in some level. What is it that we did and which one of you is it? Hold your hand up. Be a man about it. Let's veer out of the MMA world for a moment and move over to boxing because, folks, we've got a massive fight going down next weekend. And I, like many of the sport's biggest stars, can't quit talking about it. George Masvidal just weighed in on Tyron Woodley versus Jake Paul. And Tyron said, no disrespect to Ben Askren, compared to Askren, but he just said T. woods got hands at something that Askren never had. Masvidal went further to say... Maybe Jake wins. If he does, best of luck to him. I don't know anything about fighting. And I got to tell you, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about it too. But I largely had to eat that and feel it a little bit when Paul got over on Askren. And I just saw some workout footage of Jake. He was just hitting a heavy bag. He was practicing that straight, the same one that he set up, straight to the body. The same one he used to set up Askren before he came upstairs. Practicing that on the heavy bag. Heavy bag was swinging. I'm looking at him. The punch was fine. The shot was fine. I appreciate that he had a sweat going. He had more of a sweat going than any training footage I've ever seen of Anthony Joshua ever. But he's big. I mean, my biggest takeaway is he was hitting this bag. Well, man, this is a big guy. And I don't know what Jake weighs. I don't know what the contracted weight for this fight is. But Jake is tall. I mean, he's he's a big guy. <laughs> I also can't tell you that he's dirty. I can't tell you. I don't see it. Logan, totally different story. Guy might as well walk to the ring with a needle in his ass. Jake, I can't see it. So whatever secrets Big Brother has, whether he shared them or not, they're not obvious. And I say that because many people have brought PEDS into this and talked about the PEDS would give an advantage. Well, yes, performance enhancing. Yes, it would give him an advantage. I-, I can't tell you that he's using them. I don't see it. I don't see it in the nipple. I don't see it in the delt. I don't see it in the upper ab, which is exactly where you would see it, which is exactly where you see it on Big Brother. So who wins that fight? Who wins that fight? Tyron Woodley does have good head movement. He does have good hands. He won a world championship with his hands. I don't think any of us doubt his power. I remember the night that he starched Jay Haran. I'm going way back. Before he starched Lawler. I remember the night T. Wood gave Condit problems. But some of T. Wood's big strikes really stood out because, you know, he's a two-time All-American Division I wrestler. So when he went out there and he wasn't doing it, it, just became more obvious, just something that you noticed a little bit more. You know, you want to see a good stand-up fight, go back and watch Kelvin Gaslam versus Tyron Woodley. And there was a few moving parts going into that fight, but either way, if you look at where it was contested, you're going to see a lot of stand-ups, specifically lefts and right-hands. And if you do go watch it and say, chill, what do you tell Well, I, moreover for, for a T-Wood fight, if you want to see the way he moves, the way he sets, sets up, the way he gets out of the way, the way he takes a punch, rolls with a punch, and returns a punch, that's a great place to go and check out the archives. That was also in 2012. That was in 2013. I mean, how, how does that juxtapose to now? I saw many things different in Tyron Woodley's career towards the end, but I didn't see him slowing down. I just didn't see those reactions the same. I saw him sometimes on bottom with a lack of necessity, a lack of urgency to get back up. But not because he was slower. And that's one of the things that happens with athletes over time is they near the end. is They just slow down. They're just a beat slower. I don't see that in Tyrant. I've been watching some of his training videos. I'm not seeing that in Tyrant. So, is Jake that good? Because Jake has a number of things you could point to. I love the way he does feints. I love the way he sets things up. He's clearly got nerves of steel, right? He can clearly go and perform in high situations. He's great with accuracy and he has a natural power. So, now you're just talking about the sport. You're talking about purely the sport side of boxing. You're not, ta- that's still boxing. Tyron's got to make it a fight. What's the difference? One is hard and one's not. One is athletic-based, and you're setting up, and how quick are you? Can you return? What are your combinations like? Footwork. The other is where things get gritty. You're stuck in the pocket. you got to throw when your arms are so heavy you can barely lift them. That's what a fight is. How do we know how Jake is going to do? we got to guess. Jake has not lied to us yet. He's made some very big claims that we didn't believe to be true. Turned out they were all true. Jake has not lied to us, the audience, once yet. We don't have enough to go on. T-Wood looks like a million bucks in the gym right now, hitting mitts. Jake, big and powerful, but Jake was big. I mean, that's one thing I would like if you guys know. What is the agreed-upon weight? What does Jake walk around at? Is he great at cutting weight? Is, amongst all the other skills that Jake Paul has, is he also really good at cutting weight? I don't know. I could tell you when he was hitting this bag though, and I compare that to some footages of T-Wood, Jake to me is meaningfully bigger. As I think about guys like T-Wood and George Masvidal, I also think about some of the sport's other biggest names like Francis Ngannou. And I got to admit, something here isn't right when it comes to the heavyweight champion. Francis Ngannou was doing an interview, and Francis said, talking about his fight, right? Obviously, he's going to fight surreal, right? No, no, don't say obviously. Obviously, he should be fighting surreal. We can't say obviously. Something's going on here. And we've never been filled in. Francis was invited to and expected to defend his championship in Houston a number of weeks ago against Derek Lewis. I'll give you the time frame. That didn't happen. Insert surreal gone. Francis's side came out largely in an Instagram post saying that they'd love to fight. They can fight. They're ready to fight September on. Anytime in 2021, but September on. Okay. That's never been disputed. I think that we all believe that to be true. That sounds reasonable, and it was never disputed. So I'm going to go with it. But I'll disclose where I got it from. I'm going to go with it. Surreal gets put in. Surreal comes out on top. It would seem that Surreal is going to fight Francis. Francis came out, and he said, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of talks going on. The UFC wanted me—this is Francis talking— to sign something prior to my last fight. That would be before Francis fought Stipe. Francis said, but I didn't sign it. Now, that that's interesting right there. If he didn't sign it, he's got a leg to stand on. I don't know what it is he's talking about or or what was in the verbiage, but if there was something and he didn't sign it, he has a leg to stand on for the information that we're being given, which is extremely limited. and The reason I say that, I cannot stand anybody who has a deal and doesn't honor their deal. I cannot tolerate it. But it doesn't sound like that's going on with Francis. Francis didn't give us enough information, but he did say what he was asked to sign. He didn't sign. He bet on himself. He fought Stipe. He came out on top. Okay. It looks like maybe there's something to talk about there based on that limited amount of information. But when I do hear the heavyweight champion of the world, the perennial weight class in all of sport the heavyweight champion, the same champion that Muhammad Ali was, the same champion that Hulk Hogan was, the heavyweight champion. When I hear him come out and say in an interview that there's lots going on behind the scenes, I'm sitting there throwing my hands up going, why? You haven't fought since I can't remember. You turned down the most recent fight you were asked. You don't have another scheduled fight, even though everybody knows it's supposed to be against Surreal. Why is there things going on behind the scenes? And with who? with what part of this organization do you feel we need to allot time to working it out with you? 22 guys on the card, just the card you're gonna fight on, 22 guys up every single Saturday night and there's a whole bunch of things going on behind the scene with you? Why? Who's monitoring those phone calls? Why are they monitoring them? Do we have a deal or not? I can raise my voice and stare all scary into the camera i don't have enough facts i don't have enough facts i know george saint pierre came out my own my own saint pierre huh who carries saint pierre more than this guy but i gotta tell you he came out he was talking about why he didn't get a box oscar de la hoya george is under contract with dana so dana would have to sign off on and he said no not signing off for a number of reasons I don't want you boxing. If you do want to fight, I want you to do it in my organization that I signed you to in the first place, which is why I have an active agreement. I don't love these thriller guys who are trying to promote it, and if Oscar gets the jump over my biggest star of all time, I hate the whole thing. Dana just told him the truth. I don't want it. I'm not doing it. If you would like to fight, I'll make a call to Khabib, see if we can get you guys in there. And George couldn't understand why Dana wouldn't do it, and George's stance was, I feel great. I'm working hard. I'm seven years younger and two kilos of blow on the better side of uh, the fight equation than this guy. If you don't like him, send me over there. I'll take care of him. Dana's going to go, well, I don't get to participate. So I fully understand Dana's standpoint. I'm not sure many people understand what it's like from their promoter's perspective. A promoter's life is bad enough. There is nothing that makes a promoter's life worse than signing a contract because he doesn't get anything. Do you have an asset or a liability, guys? Business question, real simple answer. If it's an asset, it pays you. If it's a liability, you pay it. So if you're a promoter, you don't know where your next town is, you don't know when your next show is, you don't know what advertising sponsors are going to behind you, you certainly don't know what merchandise, ticket sales, or pay-per-views are going to do, but you now have a signed contract and you have to cover the spread. It's a tough spot. You're much better off to just go off a handshake. You're going to show up, you're going to show up, great. But you try to do business that way, we learn from the dirtbags that run boxing, if you have a deal with a boxer, you're going to give him 1000 bucks. he's going to show up on Saturday. If somebody else calls him and he'll give him 1100 bucks. he's not coming to your show. He won't even give you the courtesy of calling you and telling you he whored himself out to a higher bidder. He just won't come. So it, it turns into one of these messes that MMA, all the way back in 1993, had to learn from, adapt, and inherit. But if you're a promoter, what do you want a contract with a guy for? So you can't go somewhere else? You want to go somewhere else? Go! Beat it! This is what we do over here. It's from a competitive standpoint. And I will tell you this. If Francis didn't sign something, I don't know what it was he did not sign or what he has that's extenuating. There's always championship clauses and things. I believe him to be locked up and he needs to go and fight surreal. And whatever all these conversations are behind the scenes, I, I'm not sure who, wh- why he would think that we need to give a whole bunch of time to him. But he's an heavyweight champion. This is his standpoint. Fair enough. I will tell you this though, nickel's worth of free advice, the number one cultural policy of the UFC is do say policy. You do whatever you say you're going to do and everything's going to be fine. And you want to know, wonder why you should take Chael's advice? Well maybe because I'm the highest paid guy in the history of the sport might be a good place to start. Might be that I've been there since 2005. Might be a good place to look. Might be because I've never brought an idea to the table that didn't have a huge ROI. Not one bad idea has ever come from jail. True story. 16 years. Show me somebody else with that track record. If you say it, do it. If you say it and you don't do it, there's going to be problems. And in the short term, you're going to think that you're a good businessman sticking up for yourself. In the long term, you're going to find out you're nothing more than unemployed. To round out today's show, I'll give you my official prediction for tomorrow's fight between Kelvin Gatslam and Jared Cannonier. But before I do, let's talk about another one of the UFC's most entertaining fighters. Let's talk a little Sugar Sean. Two statements have come out on Sean this week. First by TJ Dillashaw who says Sean O'Malley will never be champion. He has too many holes. Second was by Cody Stamen that said O'Malley is an overhyped clown. Great. Let's just let's just see if these guys are right. So let's start with Dillashaw who says Sugar won't be champion. He's got too many holes in his game. That's a simple way of saying or simple way of asking you guys, can a one-dimensional fighter be champion? Or in today's world, you have to be able to do a little bit of everything. Because I hear people talking about how important it is to be well-rounded. I've heard them talking about that since 1993, but we very seldomly see it. We do see it. It's a thing of beauty when it happens, but we very seldomly see it. But goddamn, I have to hear about it every day. When I look at Khabib Nurmagomedov, who never won a fight, ever, unless he was on top of the guy bludgeoning him. I could back it up from there. Khabib Nurmagomedov, who could never take anybody down unless he pushed them into the fence first. I mean, in all fairness, that's not a whole lot of dimensions. He was damn good at it, though. Most dominant fighter to ever do it. Champion of the world in the the sport's toughest weight class. Pushed you into the fence, drug you down, kept you there. I can look at the reverse side of the coin and go to Israel Adesanya right now. When's the last time he hit a double leg takedown? When's the last time he put the hooks in? Or tried to take your back. Or looked for a guillotine choke. I mean, right, in all fairness, I'm sure that he does know how to do it. I don't have any evidence of it. I'm sure he does. But it comes back to the question of can a one-dimensional fighter go out there and go all the way? I don't see a lot of guys who aren't one-dimensional. And then you'll see glimpses into another dimension, but they try to bring their skills and they try to impose it. And we can see Izzy doing it with the strikes or we can see Khabib doing it with the takedowns, but it's the same damn thing. You do get those really well-rounded guys, though, where you just, you're just you not sure. Is he better on the ground or is he better on his feet? I think Dustin Poirier probably falls somewhere in there. Poirier's game is very striking heavy, but he's got the ground and pound. He's got the takedowns. He'll fight off his back. I mean, Poirier, just by example, would be one of the guys that's just a well-rounded mixed martial artist. But I don't know... What hole Sean has in his game? I mean, I guess I have to say that. TJ sees some holes. TJ's a former world champion. He's got the right to his opinion. Cody Stamen comes out and says that that Sean's an overhyped clown. I believe Sean's 15 and one. I believe that's his record. I know I'm damn close. And I also know that that one came when he had the same leg injury that Connor had or Chandler suffered or many other fighters. But those fighters stopped the contest and Sean continued on with it. I mean, in all fairness, if the guy sucks, how come no one can beat him? That would be one of my questions. If he's overhyped, how come you're not getting on the, the docket with him? I know the answer to that because you're underhyped, which is where the jealousy comes from, which is where the statement comes from. And I don't begrudge anybody for doing it. You got to start throwing your name out there somewhere, you got to start attaching your name like a barnacle to something. Sean's a young guy, too. What is he, 25? All these numbers are coming through my head right now. He's around 15 and 1, around 25 years old. If I'm wrong, he's 24. If I'm wrong, he's 26. I'm right there. That's awfully young. That's awfully young to be thinking a, a guy can't go on and go all the way to the belt. Because it's not the skills that takes you to the belt, right? It's the mandate of the masses which Sean has more than any 135-pounder out there right now. He already has the crowd that's willing to back him. He already has the media who's willing to sign off. He's building the resume. He's got the placement on the card. He's got the face recognition. Those are the guys that get title fights. If you're good with the punches and kicks, okay, great. But you're in the UFC. They're all good with the punches and the kicks. I could name a number of guys who deserved, as far as their skills, those opportunities, they didn't get them. I could go to Chuck Liddell back in the day, and whether he finally got it or not, I could look at Matt Brown as recently as three or four years ago. I can look at Jacare Souza, who had to retire without ever getting that nod. I was in the division. I was a middleweight with Jacare. And I will tell you, he's good enough to go fight for the belt. I watched Damian Maya do everything Damian Maya did, and whether he finally got his opportunities or not, I still understand, but you have to understand, he'd won seven fights in a row, they were all by finish, and he got of-the-night bonuses in every single one of them. I mean, it wasn't just the skills. You have to have something else. We're seeing champions that are getting turned down. Contenders are turning down champions. It's a very tough precedent if this sticks. It's very tough, and there's not a whole lot of ways that you could go with it. I have a number one contender and I offer him a fight and he does not want to fight for the championship, I'm stuck. Do I take that contender and give him something else? Or do I tell that contender so that waves go through the industry, then you're sitting on the bench? What do I do? What's the right thing to do? What if you have a really great guy who's refusing to fight the guy in front of him? It's very similar to reverse. What if you have a champion who's re- refusing to fight the top contender? Something's got to give. Somebody's got to be released. The show has to go on at some point. We've never fully been tested with it. And I'm, I'm seeing these things coming because th- this sport tends to go through waves of very non-autonomous thinkers. And I can remember the wave. And I had to put up with it for about six months, as did you, the viewer, the money fight. Remember guys that say that? It was all that they would say. Who do you want to fight next? I want the money fight. The money. They would just keep saying those words. And they didn't even know what it meant. They didn't know how they were going to get there. They didn't know how to negotiate or renegotiate this. They just heard somebody else say it on TV. So they picked up and ran with it. I have to hear report. I mean, you want to know. This is, but this is how these things happen. Robbie Lawler says one night, run it back. And now that's an existing term within our industry. Daniel Cormier doesn't say fight a guy. He says share the octagon with. Now, that's a term in the industry. Conor McGregor doesn't say a guy's 30 years old, he says he's 30 years of age. And now i got to read reporters that choose to type it out that way. Like the Queen's English, not even, not even proper English, but Conor McGregor says he's 30 years of it. He's 30 years old, okay? Grow up, guys. You want a money fight? Go become the money fight. You want to share the octagon? Try fighting somebody first. You want to run it back? Go watch football. Leave me alone. My official prediction, Kelvin Gastelum versus Jared Cannonier. Of course I'm going Kelvin Gastelum, but I will admit there's a caveat. There's a caveat of Kelvin mixing things up. If I was to go back two fights, right, Kelvin had a real dust up. He fought the gentleman from Rikers Island who's tougher than hell. But Kelvin mixed it up so well, he threw his strikes right into his doubles. He came off his doubles going into strikes. When Kelvin mixes things up and he's a mixed martial artist, he is so damn good. He really is, but Kelvin's one of those guys who's got massive power in his hands, and yes, he falls for the oohs and oz. We all do. Any coach or observer or analyst can sit back and go, don't do the oohs and ahs. follow your basics, but every fighter, including the guy who's making the statement, knows what he's talking about because he did it himself. And Kelvin loves to hear that roar of the crowd, and he fell in love with his left hand, and it's damn good. I only uh, enter for you that he's just a lot safer when he's mixing it up. And again, if you were to go back two fights ago to Rikers Island, that's what he did so well. He surprised everybody. And that fight was a major turning moment in Kelvin's career. He's had a few of them, but that was the one to get him back into Main Street. Had he lost that fight, who knows where he would be, possibly not even with the company. He's now done a main event since, and he's getting ready to do another main event against a top guy. It's very relevant. It's very relevant. Kelvin's good. He's scary. He's dangerous everywhere. He's great. He's not just scary. He's not just good. Kelvin is great when he's mixing it up. And he doesn't have to get those takedowns. He has to threaten the takedowns. He's very good at coming off them with strikes. They start to respond. He's coming right in. Takes that head to the outside. Sometimes he doesn't even hit a knee. Just drops elevation. Gets underneath, He grabs a hold of those hips. Cannoneer. I only got one experience with him. In person, personally, I met him one time. Did an interview with ESPN. But I said hello, you know, and I put did the did the buddy hug, shaking hands with one, throwing my arm around the other. This guy was like touching a wall. I, I remember this. This guy was rock solid, and he wasn't very big. And the Cannoneer story is pretty interesting because he started at heavyweight. He was in like Alaska, and he was driving all sorts of stuff, makes his way down to 185 pounds, and is next to unblemished. Right? I mean, he went like three years there, unblemished, about to be the guy. I realize he stubbed his toe a couple of fights ago, but that was a main event. That was a big fight. is going to be hungry. is going to be coming back. And his stature is relevant. A guy's stature is always relevant. So, reason the tail of the tape only tells you a few things. What he weighs, how tall he is, and what his reach are on that list. They're there even before you get down to the guy's record because it matters. It's one of Kelvin's great assets. The way that Kelvin Gaslam's body is built, he's not extremely tall for the weight class. He's not a short guy, but he would have a lower center of gravity compared to some others. And when Kelvin puts his hands up, when he put naturally, his shoulder hides his face. Most of us have to really bury the chin, raise the shoulder. To, Kelvin can just put his hands up; it hides most of his face. All you've got is a forehead to throw punches at. I saw Kelvin in a fight. It was, I believe, it was with Chris Weidman. And Kelvin came up, right, all he has to do, just natural DNA, the way his bodybuilders put his hands up, it hides his face. He came out looking like Tommy Hearns. He had one hand down here doing this. I was screaming at my television set, and I only bring that to you because Kelvin's still a young guy. He is. He's having fun. You guys forget how young Kelvin is. Kelvin was the youngest contestant ever on The Ultimate Fighter. That was 2012. So it's been 10, 11 years. Okay, he's he's just north of 30, but I'm just sharing with you. He was the youngest ever. You guys forget you think this is an old veteran. This was a young boy that came into the sport and just happened to take over and become champion of the toughest season ever. Still goes down as the toughest season ever of the Ultimate Fighter. Still fighting in main events. Still fighting for his career. But there's things that he needs to do. There's things that he needs to do to make sure he's mixing it up, which is what he does so well. And Kelvin's not going to put the pace on you. He's going to wait for you. It's one of the few traps that he does. It's a trap. And I'm not positive it's on purpose. But Kelvin will not put the pace on you, but he's got plenty left. So as soon as you start bringing it, thinking you're going to open him up, that's when you find out he's been sandbagging. And I bring that because championship rounds just aren't an, uh, an issue for Kelvin. No matter how tired he gets, I'm sure he gets tired. He doesn't show it. It doesn't change. He's going to fight you every single step of the way. And I do think if we were to go back and look, be real critical of Kelvin. And what was probably Kelvin's worst performance was against Robert Whitaker. But there was a reason why. You guys will remember Robert Whitaker, who's never taken anybody down in his life, started going to that double egg? There was nobody more surprised that that double egg was working than Kelvin. He just wasn't ready for that. I mean, in all fairness, am I making an excuse for him? Sure, I am. But I'm also telling you what happened. Like, if you think you're going to go out there and ground and pound Kelvin Gatslam, nobody's ever done it except for the best kickboxer he ever fought, right? Element of surprise. And I do not overlook Cannoneer. He's a rough-and-tumble customer. Is he made for championship rounds? That's going to be a question. Can he take a punch? It's going to be a question. Because he could end up deep, and he's going to fight a guy that's got a hell of a chin. I'm taking Gatslow. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Find your welcome and leave the show a review. We appreciate you tuning in each and every week. Do hope you come back next Wednesday where you're going to get all the latest from Uncle Chael. Until then, I am Chael and you are welcome.